We're in Matthew 15 this morning. Matthew 15. We've been uh, having some topical Sundays in November and the 1st of December, but we're back, back where we left off. If you remember, the end of October, we finished Matthew 14. And so we pick up again in Matthew 15, verses 1 through 9. Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother... And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching His doctrines the commandments of men. Father, thank You so much for Jesus Christ. Thank You for His words. Thank You that no man ever spoke like this man. Father, He's rebuking these religious teachers and I, I don't believe many uh, with hearts like these religious teachers are here today. I believe that your people are here um, and are here with right hearts, with hearts that are born again, with hearts that love you and know you. And yet we come to this passage today and Father, we, we know that there's still old Pharisee and old Sadducee in us. That old man that's been crucified with Christ still seeks to rear his head. And so, Father, we, we just ask this morning that where, where that old Pharisee and Sadducee is in us, Father, that you would, you would crucify him even more. And that we would die to that kind of living and live holy unto Christ. Father, if there are those who are Pharisees and Sadducees among us, we ask that they would be awakened today and be born again. Father, we all long to worship You rightly. You tell us in Your Word that You are a consuming fire. And that those who worship You must worship in spirit and in truth. Father, help us do that today, even by the way that we listen, by the way that I preach Father, we come to You confessing that apart from You we can do nothing. I cannot preach apart from You that it would be anything helpful. We can't listen unless You help us. So Holy Spirit, please come and help us. Teach us. Be with us. Instruct us. Encourage us. Fix our eyes on Christ. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.
There is a way to have an appearance of zeal for God that is not according to God's Word. There is a sense in which you are all showing zeal for God by, by being here this morning. But why are you here? Why are you here this morning? What, what if I as your pastor said, well, I'm here because they pay me to be here. <laughs> I'm the pastor. This is my job. It's what I get paid for. This is where I make the big bucks. What would you think of me if, I, if that were my heart? That's, that's why I'm here. Why are you here? I remember as a young person, I was in church because my parents brought me to church. Uh, and even after that, as a teenager, I, I was a good Pharisee, and I was here because it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. It's the godly thing to do. I'm godly. I'm in church. That's what I do. But it was absolutely void of any kind of delight, love, joy in God. Mark Dever began this, this sermon on this text telling a story about two men who loved marriage. And uh, the first man, man number one, he loved his ring. He talked about his ring all the time. He was always looking to tell people about how wonderful his ring is and what it symbolizes, the unity, the oneness, the, the eternality of marriage. And he loved to talk about marriage. And, you know, anytime he could, he would, he would give lectures on marriage and he would try to turn every conversation to talk about marriage. And he just, everybody knew he loved marriage. And then there was man number two, and he wasn't all that into the ring. He wasn't all that into talking about marriage, but he always loved to talk about his wife. <laughs> he loved spending time with his wife. He loved to delight in his wife. He, he, he loved her and delighted in her and delighted to spend time with her. And he was sort of using as an illustration of what's going on in our passage today. These Pharisees, they loved the signs of being the people of God. But they didn't love or know God. There's a way to have an appearance of zeal for God that is not according to God's Word. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, spoke of it in 2 Timothy 3, 1-5. But understand this, that in the last days, that's right now, <laughs> there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Paul wrote to the church in Rome, Romans 10, 2-4, I bear them witness, talking about the Jews, that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. There's a way to have an appearance of zeal for God that is not according to God's Word. and doesn't please God. There's a way to 
perform all kinds of external acts of worship. Prayer and preaching and giving money and singing and yet to have a heart that's far away from God. That's what Jesus warns these Pharisees of in verses 7 through 9. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. I do mean what I pray that I, I don't believe uh, most of you here are like these Pharisees. <laughs> I believe that most of you here are born again, that, that most of you here know Jesus and love Jesus and seek to want to follow Jesus and have hearts near to God and, and want to please Him with your lives. I, I believe that about you. <clears throat> and yet, there may be some here who are not in that category. There, there may be some Pharisees and scribes here who need to hear Jesus' warning. And I just know in my own heart, I got some Pharisee and scribes still in me. There are times when, when my, my, my duties that I perform for God that are good, they're not with the fullness of my heart. And I, I need to grow in that. Do, do you realize... Beloved, that, that there's Pharisee and scribes still left in you. And, and as a believer, you want that to die. You want to grow in that. Grow in pursuing God with, with a heart on fire for Him. To, 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 to greater sacrifice. Greater love. Greater faithfulness. Every true believer longs for that. You know, I, I, listening to, to Sister Trina, that, that was challenging this, this morning to hear her talk about being in Nigeria and hearing about a pastor who was shot and killed by these Muslim uh, 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 terrorists. And, and then they asked her team the question, Are you got, do you guys want to stay here because it, it could be very dangerous for you or do you want to go? And what does her team do? What does her team do? It's a little bit different than the question, are you going to come to church on Sunday when it's raining? <laughs> are you going to die for Christ? And, 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 and what does her team do? They say, well, well, these people live with that every day. What kind of message is that going to send if we leave? Is, is Jesus precious? Is Jesus worth it? Is, is, is Jesus worthy? And they stayed. They stayed. Thank you, Sister Trina. For, for staying and being an example for me to, to live for Jesus and to make more sacrifices for Jesus and be more uncomfortable for Jesus. And have a heart near to Jesus. That's so near to Jesus. I mean, the way that Sister Trina described that is, it, it was, it's not even debatable. <laughs> it, it, it seemed to me like her heart is so near to Jesus. This is not even a question. <laughs> We're staying. <laughs> and so we want to grow. We want to grow. We want to be more like Sister Trina, her team. 
We, we want to be more like Jesus. The Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus and asked a question. Look at verses 1 and 2. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Who are the scribes and the Pharisees? Just a little reminder. I mean, we've seen them throughout Matthew's gospel, but we've been away from that for a while. These are the Jewish religious leaders and teachers of the law in Jesus' day. They were like the pastors of the day. They were supposed to be the interpreters of the law of God. And yet, sadly, most of them, we see in the Gospels, wrongly interpreted God's law, were very self-righteous, were lovers of money, rejected God and His Word, they were evil, and they led God's people astray. And yet, they were the ones that that God's people, by and large, looked up to as these are the righteous ones. That's why it was so shocking when Jesus said, your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees because the people looked up to these people as, no, these are the ones. These are the ones who know the Bible. These are the ones who know God. These are the leaders. And yet, Jesus came and turned their world on, on their head. And, and showed that the, these, these are self-righteous, wrongly interpreting the law of God, lovers of money, rejecters of God and His Word. They're evil, and they lead the people astray. So, so you, you can have a very strong appearance of being religious and be far from God. Or it can just be evident that you're far from God by the way that you live. Right? So, so you know, Tim Keller talks about the... Two thieves, uh, 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 you know, Christ in the center and, and the two thieves, two ways to run from Christ. You can run from Christ through religiosity, like the Pharisees, or you can run from Christ through licentiousness. So just outward, you know, rebellion, fornication, sex outside of marriage, adultery, pornography, lust, you know, stealing, cheating, murder, you know, uh, two, two ways people run from God. You have the, the one guy who is nice, middle class, suburban, faithful to his wife, at least outwardly, goes to church, and he is far from God. He's a Pharisee. He's proud of himself. He doesn't know God. Every appearance, he seems to know God, but his heart's far from God, and he'll go to hell when he dies. And then you have the other person who is like the prodigal son who left home. You had the one that stayed home, right? and served his daddy because he wanted some reward, he was far from God. And you had the guy that wasted his money on prostitutes and ran from God that way. Well, these Pharisees are running from God who is standing before them, and they're trying to accuse him of evil in their religiosity. And, and both people need the gospel. <laughs> both, both people need to see that they're sinners and they need a Savior. And, and that's what the gospel says to all of us. The, the Bible says all of us have sinned against God. We've broken His laws and commandments, either in our religiosity and our self-righteousness or in our licentiousness. Everyone has sinned against God. Everyone has broken His commands. Everyone deserves God's wrath and judgment in hell. But God loves sinners. 
But God loves sinners, and so God sent His Son Jesus to, to die on the cross, to, 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 to bear the wrath of God, to bear the curse of God, to be buried and to rise up on the third day to conquer sin, death, and hell so that anyone, anyone, the Pharisee types or, 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 or the prodigal son types who run away, anyone who repents of their sin and, and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ can be saved. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can simply receive it by faith alone in Christ alone. Friend, if you're here this morning and, and you've not come to Christ, I plead with you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the good news. Would you believe it? Would you believe it? The Pharisees didn't. They rejected Christ. And they asked Jesus a question. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders for they do not wash their hands when they eat? Now, for those of you who hate traditions, the tradition haters, I want to say a, a, a kind word about traditions. All traditions are not Bad and unbiblical. 1 Corinthians 11.2 Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I deliver them to you. <laughs> so be careful, tradition haters. Before you start railing on tradition, let's look to the Bible and see the Holy Spirit inspired 1 Corinthians 11.2 about maintaining the traditions even as... Paul, inspired by the Holy Ghost, deliver them to them. Let's look at 2 Thessalonians 2.15. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Traditions are not necessarily bad. There are certain traditions we do in this church that help point us to Jesus and to God's Word. Traditions must, number one, serve and affirm God's Word and God's commandments. They have to be in harmony with God's Word and submit to God's Word. And number two, traditions cannot contradict God's Word or lead you to break God's commandments. They should help you be faithful to God and help produce sincere, heartfelt obedience to God and His Word done by faith in Christ and done by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. There are traditions that do that. We have a tradition at this church of reading our uh, covenant before we take the Lord's Supper, reminding us of biblical principles by which we should live by as Christians that the Bible calls us to, to seek to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's a biblical and godly tradition. Having a statement of faith is biblical. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. That's a confession of faith. And it's a, a, a kind of tradition that helps us interpret God's Word faithfully. So traditions are not all bad, but we're going to see some bad ones here. <laughs> the scribes and the Pharisees' concern was a religious concern, not so much a hygiene concern. Those of you, again, who are here this morning to hear Sister Trina, she talked about how a, a key uh, doctrine of, 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 of medicine is good hygiene. 
you know, there, there are germs and things that can hurt you, and if you, you don't cleanse yourself, then it's going to be bad. Well, th- this is not the main concern of why the scribes and Pharisees want uh, the disciples to wash their hands before they eat. So this is not sort of like mom telling Johnny, wash your hands, Johnny, you're going to get your food, you know, you're going to get, get, get sick from eating. That's not their main concern here. Their main concern is a religious concern. And so in their mind, our, 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 our scriptures like Exodus 30, 17 through 20, when the Pharisees and scribes are upset that Jesus' disciples are not washing their hands before they eat, their, their main concern is a, is a religious concern, and they're thinking of scriptures like Exodus 30, 17 through 20. The Lord said to Moses, you shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so they may not die. Serious. Serious. But, I wonder if you know what's wrong with taking that law and applying it to Jesus' disciples before they eat. See any problems with that? See any wrong interpretation of, of Scripture? The Pharisees and scribes' concern was misguided because it was based on the tradition of the elders and not the law of God. Notice the command in Exodus 30 was not about washing your hands before you eat. It, it wasn't for everybody to wash their hands before they eat. It was about the priests, Aaron and his sons, washing before they ministered in the tent of meeting. You see that? They, they take the law of God, and some of, some of what they say is true, wash your hands. But then what was the context? Right? What, what, what was the purpose? And, and they twist it. And they're not going by the law of God, they're going by the traditions of men. Daniel Doriani comments on this, they knew nothing of germs and microbes. The law required priests to wash hands and feet and so to enter the tabernacle spotless and undefiled as they served there. The Pharisees' tradition expanded this law. Above all, they required everyone to live according to the standard of the priests. Beyond that, they greatly amplified the regulations of washing. The Mishnah, Mishnah is the oral tradition that expands and explains God's law, and they wrote it down, it has a whole section, nearly 4,000 words in English translations on how to wash correctly. Does the washing of hands extend to the wrist? How much water must be used? From what sources and vessels may the water come? And so they twisted God's law and made traditions and imposed those traditions on people. And this is not good. We should beware of making human traditions equal with God's Word. And and this is why we should know and read and understand the Word of God. And, And yet, the Pharisees knew and read the Word of God, but they didn't understand it rightly, and they didn't understand Christ. They didn't know Christ. We have to know the Christ of the Bible. 
Since the Pharisees and scribes wrongly equated the tradition of the elders with God's law, they wrongly accused Jesus' disciples of breaking God's law. They viewed Jesus and His disciples as lawbreakers and blasphemers, and we know they eventually want Jesus dead. On the other hand, those who know God and love Jesus Christ, those who know God will love Jesus Christ because Jesus is God. Jesus, God's Son, inspired the law, the Word of God. The religious traditions of men that these scribes and Pharisees were relentlessly committed to follow were so complex and ultimately contrary to God's Word that they totally impeded the effective action of following God who had come in the flesh and stood before them, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you, do you see that? <laughs> they, they so get God's law wrong that they miss God. God is standing before them. God is talking to them. God is giving them the right interpretation of, 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 of the law and they miss it. They miss Him. They want to kill Him. They so hold to what they believe to be God's teaching that they want to kill God. That's frightening. That you can think you're so in the right with God. You can think you're following what God says. And you want to kill God. And not follow God. Sinclair Ferguson writes how complicated the lives of the Pharisees must have been by comparison with the life of Jesus and his disciples, and how childlike the lives of the disciples must have seemed by comparison with the complexity of the Pharisees. That was not accidental. In fact, it takes us to the very heart of the difference between the Pharisees and Jesus. To them, the Pharisees, God was a distant lawmaker who hemmed in the lives of the people. To Jesus, God was the Father of those who trusted in Him. He wanted His children to live in open fellowship with Him. Do you as individuals or we as a church have any traditions of men that fail to serve, submit to, and affirm God's Word and commandments? Do we have any traditions that contradict God's Word and commandments or even lead us to break God's commandments? Or do our traditions help us be faithful to God and help produce in us sincere, heartfelt obedience done by faith and done by the power of the Holy Spirit? I hope and pray that they do. To ensure we have God-honoring and biblical traditions, we must know our Bibles. Again, why I encourage us to read through the Bible in a year. If you've never done it in your life, I would encourage you, make 2023 the year that you read the whole Bible in a year. Again, this is not burdensome. This is 20 to 30 minutes a day. But the scribes and Pharisees knew their Bibles. We must do more than know our Bibles we must know the Christ of the Bible and embrace Him and His finished work and His death and resurrection and read our Bibles with, with, with an eye to see Him. Do you know and trust and love this Christ? We all have to some degree, like the Pharisees and scribes, put man's opinion or tradition 
or our own selves above God. Every time we sin, we put ourselves and our traditions and our wants before God. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. We see Jesus rebukes the Pharisees and scribes. Look at verses 3 through 9. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have put, made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Beloved, notice that Jesus answers their question with a question. <laughs> Jesus doesn't answer their question. They, they don't run the show here. Jesus does. It's good, it's good for us to learn from Jesus in this. You don't have to answer the questions people ask you. Apologetic discussions, witnessing to your friends, you know, uh, sometimes people ask me some pretty vile questions up at Broad and Olney, and I don't answer them. <laughs> you don't have to answer the question. When the Hebrew Israelite asks you, who is a true Jew? Don't answer that question. Go down that rabbit hole of talking about ethnicity and why that makes you right before God. Don't answer that. I ask you a question, sir. Is Jesus God Almighty? Get to the heart. Get right to the heart of things. Is Jesus God Almighty? And how do you get saved before a holy God? Is it by justification by faith alone? Or is it by keeping the law? You don't have to answer stupid questions. You know, people say there's no stupid question. Yes, there is. There are stupid questions. Jesus doesn't answer their questions. Jesus is the leader. Jesus is always the leader. I was reading a book uh, in the last couple weeks uh, it talk, talking about how Jesus said those who would lead must be servants and how Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And this, this sentence just struck me of this, this author. Even while Jesus was on His knees washing their feet, no one doubted who the leader was. No one doubted who the leader was. And, and these, these Pharisees and scribes come to Jesus asking Him a question. He asked them a question. No, you, you answer me this. These traditions of the Pharisees and scribes were in direct contradiction to the commands of God. That's what Jesus shows them. Jesus says... <laughs> In verse 3, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? <laughs> and, and Jesus then shows them how they're breaking the commandment of God. In verses 4 through 6, for God commanded, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father and mother must surely 
die. Children, take note of that. God really cares about how you treat mom and dad. Honor mommy and daddy. Obey them in everything the Bible says. And praise God you're not in the old covenant. <laughs> I mean, that Jesus even brings that law up. That's a whole other sermon. <laughs> but it's serious business. Honor your father and mother. And the law said, whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, so that's the law of God. And then Jesus says, but you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. So, so basically what these scribes and Pharisees have done is said, Let, let's, let's find loopholes in the law of God, in the, in the traditions that we have, so that we can actually get out of actually obeying the law of God and soothe our conscience. And so they found loopholes and ways to break God's law to do what they really wanted to do. And they used God's word and law and twisted it to do it. Daniel Doriani comments, if a parent asked a child for material or financial help and the child did not want to help, the child need only say Corbin over the goods in question. That made the child's possession a gift dedicated to God. Since it was dedicated to God, it could not be given or used by anyone else. Yet the child was free to deliver the gift to God many years later so he could use it until then, even while his parents could not. Thus, the tradition nullified the Word of God. This is what traditions can do. They play one law against another. Corbin is allegedly about loving God, but hard-hearted children used it to avoid caring for their parents. Tradition looks as the letter of the law and often seeks to manipulate it or exploit loopholes. It ignores the law's spirit and the people whom the law protects and directs. Traditions look at the hands. God's law examines the heart. Traditions look at the hands or the outward appearance. God's law looks at the heart. And if, if Pharisees did this often, the scribes and Pharisees did this often, that's why Jesus said in Matthew 23, 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done. Tithe that mint, dill, and cumin. Jesus didn't say don't do that. A lot of people want to talk bad about that. No, Jesus says you should have done that. Yes. <laughs> and not neglected the others, these weightier matters, justice and mercy and faithfulness. And so Jesus, He rebukes the Pharisees and scribes for doing this, for twisting God's commandments to serve their own selfish purposes. In verses 7 through 9, you hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus calls them fake worshipers. 
You hypocrites. The, the, the inside of you doesn't match the outside. You, it, it, you know, it's like having a mask on to, to hide what you really are. And he calls them hypocrites. They're false, fake worshipers. Because true worship must come from the heart. That, that, that's what Jesus says. He, 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 he quotes Isaiah, this prophet. Uh, 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 the, the people, this people, and, and so these people were doing the same thing in Isaiah's day, and they're still doing it, and Jesus is pointing it out. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. True worship must come from the heart. That There's a way to perform all kinds of external acts of worship. What is an act of worship? An act of honor. He, he calls it honor. Isaiah calls it honor. You honor me with your lips. And so we honor God. We're to honor God. That's what worship is. Acts showing how great worth God is. That's worship. We, 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 we worship what we love and adore and value. It moves our heart. And so we, we, can, we can pray and, and, and preach and give money and sing and yet have a heart that's far from God. I, I like these examples that, that John Piper gives. We all know this sort of experience in our ordinary life. One man retires from, from the firm, loved by all, respected by all his colleagues, admired by the junior executives. And when the party is given to honor him, everyone knows that the handshakes and the speeches and the congratulations and the gold watch are very sincere. They come from the heart. But then a few years later, he calls him old, old grumbleful retires. The one in the office who's always grumbling, always complaining, always giving the boss a hard time, always giving the colleagues a hard time. And out of duty, the same party is given with the same handshakes, the same speeches, the same gold watch. But everyone knows this time that honor was paid with the lips, but the heart was far away. Or haven't you sat through a school talent show and observed how some applause comes from internal appreciation, but other applause comes from external expectation? We, we can learn what true worship of the heart is from watching the, these sports events. I mean, the World Cup's going on, right? I mean, Americans don't get it. I don't, I don't get it either, but, but it's the most popular sport in the world by far. So, like, I think Tom Brady has, what, 12 million followers on Instagram, and Ronaldo, one of the most famous soccer players in the world, has, like, 400 million followers. I mean, it's just, there's, like, no comparison as far as world popularity. Soccer is more popular. Uh, uh, football, they call it. But you watch these matches and, and they fill stadiums and people are cheering and painting themselves and spending large exorbitant amounts of money to go to these games. I mean, their hearts are in this. I remember when Alabama lost, uh, switching gears here to college football, Alabama lost the national championship and a man killed himself because of it. The, these people worship. Their hearts are not far from their team. 
We can learn what it is to worship God from them in devotion, commitment. It's snow on the ground. They're sick with the flu, but they're there because <laughs> their heart is in it, baby. Snow, rain, sleet. I'm on my deathbed. I'm going to be there because the ball is worth it. Friend, Jesus, who died for your sins, who was whipped for you, beaten for you, took a crown of thorns for you, shed His blood for you, died and rose again for you, lives forevermore to intercede for you, He's worth more than a ball. He's worthy to make the decision Sister Trina and her team did. Yes, we're going to stay in Nigeria and then they come and shoot us, we're going to die for Jesus. Because Jesus died for me. It's not wrong to be excited about soccer and football. It's not wrong. It can be idolatry. We should learn what true worship is from, from watching the World Cup and watching college football and NFL football. And ask ourselves the question, do we love Jesus like they love their ball? Or that might not appeal to the ladies at all. So flowers and dresses and diamonds. You know, fill in the blank of whatever cranks your tractor. Do we love Jesus like that with a heart near to Him? Husbands and wives and children and boyfriends and girlfriends really get us excited. Move our hearts with joy. I mean, what, what has you tap dancing? What, what has you jumping and whoo? You just can't sit still. I can't believe this happened. I'm amazed. Maybe it's winning the lottery, which you shouldn't be playing. <laughs> That's another sermon. <laughs> But if you won $50 million, <gasps> be near to something. God is greater. God is greater. He's greater than toys and houses and phones and stuff and hobbies. Our hearts should be near to Him. God is better than everything. Do we see that? I know we see that, but we want to see it more. I want to see it more. Because I, I, I can relate to what Sister Trina is saying. I forget who I am. I forget. I forget. And I let the things of the world often come in and draw my heart. And I have to remember. I have to be reminded of this. I have to be reminded of, of what I'm preaching. God is better, Joseph. He's better than these things you want so badly. God is better. Genesis 15.1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. God is our reward. The psalmist teaches this. Psalm 16.11, in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 42, 1 through 2, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts 
for God? When is the last time your soul truly, really, genuinely thirsted for God? I thirst for God. When shall I come and appear before God? Psalm 63.1, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. Psalm 73.25, Isaac and Heidi's wedding text. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth I desire besides you. Or Paul in Philippians 3. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the, uh, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Those are people and saints who had a heart near to God. That's what a heart near to, to God looks like. That's what we want. And, and beloved, we must fight for this. We must fight to truly worship God with a heart near to Him. It's a fight because our, our hearts are often cold, right? And so we, we must fight. I've, again, I've been helped by, by John Piper on this. You know, what, what do you do when you wake up and you have no desire to go to church, no desire to read your Bible, no, no desire to pursue God? Well, a lot of people just say, well, do it anyway. Do it anyway. Just do it anyway. It's the right thing to do. Just do it anyway. The thing I love about Piper is he puts two steps before that. Yes, you should do it anyway. <laughs> you should do your duty. Amen. But he puts in two helpful steps before that. Number one, realize it's a sin. Yeah. People, think, people don't think that. It's a sin to have wrong feelings about God. It, it's a sin to be more excited about these other things of the world than God. It's a sin not to desire to do what God has commanded. It's a sin to be bored with God. I was thinking about that the other day. Where do kids learn to say I'm bored? Boredom is a sin. (laughs) And so you confess it. As believers, we confess our sins. Father, forgive me for my coldness of heart. Forgive me for not desiring you. Forgive me for having a a heart far from you right now. Forgive me for this. In the name of Jesus, I come to you and ask that you would forgive me and cover me in the blood. Forgive me for my heart that's far from you. That's the first step. Confess it as sin. And know that if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We have a Savior who forgives sinners. And secondly, ask God to change your heart. Lord, Lord, please, please, God. Lord, you know how I get excited about this and about that. You know, Lord, how excited I would have been last night if, if, if Navy had, had won instead of Army in double overtime. How joyful I would have been. God, Lord, where's my heart for you? Lord, give me that kind of desire and joy for you and what you've done for me in Christ. Please, God. Please grant it to me. And so you ask God to give you what only God can do. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. And so we ask God to to give us the joy and give us the heart near to Him. And then we do our duty 
trusting that as we do what he's called us to do and put ourselves under the means of grace, whether it be Bible reading or church attendance, that God will answer that prayer through the means of grace as we do what God's called us to do. We must fight to truly worship God with a heart near to him. And verse 9 says, In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines of the commandments of men. May we know God's word so well that only and always we teach as doctrines the commandments of God, not of men. Beloved, read God's word, know God's word, and know the Christ of God's word. And so let's think about Jesus to end our time this afternoon. Think about Jesus. The Pharisees and scribes were concerned about purity. Jesus is all purity without sin. Jesus made the water that cleanses. And He made the hands that need washing. Jesus spoke of the commandments of God and He Himself is the very Word of God come in the flesh. He alone lived out God's commandments perfectly. Jesus alone honored His earthly father and mother perfectly and His heavenly Father perfectly. Jesus honored His heavenly Father with both His lips and His heart, always having a heart perfectly near to God. Jesus never was a hypocrite. He never worshipped in vain. And always and only taught God's commands and sound doctrine. In fact, no one ever spoke or taught like this man. He's the God-man. And He died and rose up for sinners. Jesus cuts the, the bureaucracy of the scribes and Pharisees. He humbles them, the aristocracy. He shatters their hypocrisy. And He rules by autocracy. He is the, the ruler of all rulers. He despises man's ungodly tradition. To God's Word, they seek to make an addition, but this is wholly contrary to Christ's mission and will fuel His holy temper ignition. He has a relentless holy ambition to save the self-righteous human condition and bring godless sinners to His full submission. So don't put your hopes in any politician, physician, superstition, or lofty recognition, but trust in Jesus' death and sin remission. By faith alone receive a righteous position and acquire a growing holy disposition that declares against all sin outright opposition because the beauty of Christ has no competition. His disciples ate with defiled hands, but it's the heart the eye of the Lord scans to see if it in righteousness stands and holiness continues and expands just as the Lord promises and demands. God supplies grace to obey what He commands and He'll make His sons many like the ocean sands. Jesus came to set free, to cut down the complex. His burden is easy and shouldn't perplex. Jewish rules were more and less than God expects. Killing heart worship was one of their effects. But you see the glory Christ reflects and the beauty His person and work projects, you'll beg to be His royal subjects, delighting in Him as the best of all objects. Worship that's vain is completely insane. It's like the unacceptable sacrifice of Cain that's only profane. So break this evil chain and turn to the Lamb who was slain, but now lives with full reign as the one who can end your pain. Worship Him from a pure heart to pleasure regain. Hypocrisy He can kill. Hypocrisy He came to kill. True humility to instill with unprecedented skill. He did His Father's perfect will. He died upon Mount Calvary's hill and rose up from the dead with zeal. The law and the prophets to fulfill and open history's every seal. He Himself became our meal. 
And through His name all people kneel. Through His blood all nations heal. And He gives an everlasting thrill. The Pharisees' hands had to be washed clean, though their hearts were dirtier than a latrine. Outwardly they shine clear, bright, and pristine, but inside they're dead and rotten gangrene. It's uglier than anything you've ever seen. Unless, of course, the clean of cleans you've seen who makes even the dirtiest latrine clean, bright, and pristine, brings to life gangrene and clears it from the scene. For sinners, he'd intervene. He's the mediator in God's go-between in order to turn the ugliest into the most beautiful clean. If your worship is fake, it's for your own sake. God's glory you take, vile idols you make, you'll burn in the lake unless Christ makes you awake. Your sin forsake, selfishness he'll break and save you from heartache. In His glory you'll partake, and your life He'll remake. Worship won't be fake, but be done for His own namesake. God doesn't want your honor merely from your lips. It's your whole life and heart He takes and grips. His delights flow down like the honeycomb drips. So come to Christ by faith, and with joy He equips. From His river of pleasures you'll forever take sips, where His glory will never suffer slips, trips, or eclipse. God's holy commandments you shouldn't leave, but run to the glorious Christ and cleave. He saves if you'll only repent and believe. He died and rose, salvation to achieve. Dead, hell-bound sinners He came to retrieve. By His grace, may you have new eyes to perceive. He lives for you now, your fears to relieve. He's the most precious gift you could ever receive. He's greater than all your mind could conceive. He rules the world with almighty power. He's our refuge and strength, our strong high tower. All of our enemies He'll finally devour. Though His tenderness and beauty bloom like a flower, may we be ready now. He returns any hour. Upon us great blessings He'll eternally shower. Christ Jesus makes true worship real. He is God's Word with passion zeal. Sinners by vain tradition still His glory, yet to Him they kneel. He wants our hearts, His praise to fill. For He died and rose to seal our salvation and to heal us from every sin and ill. Now by faith, we do His will. The Holy Spirit, He does fill with Christ, our everlasting thrill. Father, we pray that would be true of us. That You, Lord Jesus, would be our everlasting thrill. God, we pray that You would, by Your Holy Spirit, fill us and strengthen us, God. We, we praise You that, that we have a great Savior for, for the times we have come to You in deadness and coldness, Lord. When we've come to Your Word, come to Your worship, come to Your songs, come and, and, and been like the Pharisees, Lord, when, when, when we do outward acts, when our hearts are far from You, we thank You that we have a great Savior who never did that who was never a hypocrite. Lord, we thank You that You are worthy. Worthy of praise. Worthy of honor. Worthy of of all of our lives. And Father, we ask that You would help us. Lord, we confess that we are sinners before You. We confess that, that we need forgiveness. And we pray You would help us worship You rightly. God, that we would grow in this, Father. That we would grow daily in this. That we would grow as a people on the Lord's Day worshiping You together like this. Father, we pray that we would have hearts, that we would leave this service, Father, having hearts closer to You than ever before in our lives. 
And that you would only forever continue to draw us near to you. And Father, we pray for anyone here that may be here today who does not know you, who, who has never had a heart near to you, never had a heart born again, never repented of their sins and believed in the gospel. Father, we ask that today would be the day that they trust in you and fall in love with Jesus and have a heart near to you and, and worship you rightly for the first time even as we sing our closing hymn. And so God, do that we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.